How are you all doing today? This is the Jeff Salgado Show with my co-host, Mike Boyd. What's up, man? Not much. It's uh, Sunday, February 23rd. Beautiful skies outside, 61 degrees. Uh, enjoying this nice early spring. It's amazing. How are your allergies? Fucked. But, you know, that's, just, <laughs> that's part of the deal, living in the valley. No shit. So, uh... Today, we have a special interview with Terry Butler from the band Obituary. We'll be touching base with him a little bit later on. Uh, what's up with you? How's it going, Mike? I'm uh, I'm hungover. <laughs> from what? From drinking. That's what, uh, that's what did it. Did you have a birthday party? Celebrate? Yeah. So my cover band played oh, sure. last night, and it was a private party. Oh, wow. And then the night before, the Bitters played in Vallejo at the Vallejo Pinball and Vinyl store that's new out there. And that's it's, pretty cool. And they're, it's a fucking rad venue. Like, they're doing a lot of, like, just fucking gigs in this really... It's a real small shop, bunch of vinyl, bunch of pinball machines. They line up some bands. Maybe 30 people would probably get the fire marshal involved, but it's super dope. What, is there, like, a little room somewhere you can play at, or is it just no, in the... it's just in the store. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, awesome. we, like, we're, we're backed up right against pinball machines and, like, just fucking rows and rows of vinyl that's for sale. I, it's a rad little place. That is pretty cool. Yeah. How was your week? My week was cool, you know? I mean, just getting getting things done, just trying to do all juggle all my projects. How was yours, man? Well, after we did the show last weekend, I was invited to do some judging for a battle of the bands that was out in Concord, California. It was pretty cool. Um, TMI Productions, Tina Mattis, she hit me up and asked me if I'd do it. I I don't really, you know, affiliate myself with Battle of the Bands, but she, you know, it's it's it was for the Wacken Open Air that's out in Germany. And it's a big old uh, competition where it was a couple of different cities in Northern California that were competing to go to the next level to the semifinals. And then the winner of that goes down to the Southern California one to battle them. They got a bunch of ones are in LA, a bunch of different shows. That's cool. And then uh, then there's a nationwide one where all the, the champions of them, it just goes to all these different tiers to see who wins to go to Vok. And so I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And, uh, it, uh, the other judges was uh, Claudius Creamer from Possessed was there, the guitar player. Oh, that's sick. sick. Yeah, yeah, local sack guy. And then uh, Sean Killian from Violence was nice. invited. He was invited as well. He was great. It was a totally different experience than I'm used to. I didn't just go to the show. Like I actually had to watch every band perform and, and critique them. And they had like a bunch of different um, stat like a bunch of requirements that you had to fill out from one to 10 and what you thought and then leave comments as well. And it was pretty cool. Um, I'd like to say congratulations to violent legacy and rage of war. Those are the two bands that won. That's dope. Yeah. So congrats to them. What were some of the things you had to judge them on? If you, if I can ask that, Oh dude, it was everything. It was, um, professionalism, uh, stage banter, uh, sound, how they sound. Originality was a big one. Appearance, um, even down to the point of how long it took them to get off the stage. Like, it was really strict. Well, that's that's a great lesson for any band, honestly. Especially if you're du duking it out in the local scene. Yeah. Get your shit together. 
get out of the way for the other band. <laughs> like every band should just know that. We had we have this one term that we call wing nutting. I think my drummer Toby brought it. He, I think he thought of it, but it was so fucking funny. It's when a band is done and they have their an opener act and they have to get off their shit off the stage and instead the drummer breaks down his set on the stage. It drives everybody in the venue <laughs> wing crazy. Nutter? Yeah, because they just start That's twisting the their they start twisting their wing nut on their cymbal. It's That's fucking so hilarious. accurate. And the other bands are just staring at him like they want to kill him. So we got to a point, you know, years ago where we just don't tolerate it. I'll just walk up there and just start grabbing their shit and like, hey, let me help you out. You need some help, buddy? And they're just like, oh, no, I got it. I'm all, apparently not. So I'll just pick up their drums and take them off the stage. Yeah, just get your shit off. Like, you, you're, there's plenty of space around the venue to fucking do whatever it is you need to do. Put your fucking pedal board back in your bag. Put your fucking cords away. You don't need to. Wing nut. That's not a fucking stage <laughs> activity. <laughs> Uh, there's there's one at every local show that you go to. Oh, there's yeah. always that one band. It's usually the early ones. And then you got the guys that are just super pro, unless you're headlining. If you're headlining, then you can just take your sweet-ass time. Yeah. and Wing that all you want. Right, exactly. Yeah. But other than that, it was it was a pretty cool week. Um, after that, I got invited to the Machine Head show. Chris Contos invited me. I was all, yes. Because, honestly, I've never seen Machine Head uh, live. Oh, wow. Right, never seen them live. I was beyond impressed because i wasn't a real big fan i like some of their songs you know i respect the band immediately uh, immensely the the players in the band but when i saw them live from the beginning of their set to the end of their second set it was mind-blowing on how badass that band is i mean they have their shit nailed tight to every little thing to the the stage banners are so tight the you know all the the lights were great Everything is just so choreographed and perfect. I was like, wow, that looks like a ton of work. And I heard they like rehearse for like a week before they go out on their tours. And you can tell that band is so tight. It was mind blowing on how good it was and how hard Rob Flynn works. That guy kills it. That whole band is bands because it was it's the new, multiple lineups. Right. Yeah. It was the it was the, the the current lineup and the had the burn my eyes lineup at the end and it was really sweet. I could not have had a better show. It was awesome. The thing I know about, I haven't seen Machine Head yet either, and I really want to because I am a fan of the band. I heard they, they put on like a fucking two and a half hour show sometimes. It was like three. it's holy it was three shit, hours. dude. It's a fucking marathon. It form. was like three hours with a 10 minute intermission while they switched lineups out, and it was fucking badass. And my boy, Chris Contos, and I already invited him to be on the, the podcast. He said he would, so that'll be coming up soon. Um, he had a sick ass drum solo. It was badass all the way around. They stopped in the middle of the set, did a tribute to Neil Peart. They did a, I think it was a, the intro for, it was one of the middle parts for Tom Sawyer. It right. was so badass, dude. I was like, I was just like emotional. It was so sweet. Nah, great. It was cool. And you know, th that band is just a huge staple in the Bay Area thrash and heavy metal scene as well. So it, it was like everybody was there. It was really sweet. I like, I really, I'm a big fan because of one of the things is, is when I, when I put on a machine head record, it's never the same as a different, another record. Right. That's one thing. Very diverse. And that pushes a lot of people away, but that also like gives me a lot of interest because it's like, I could put on burn my eyes. It doesn't sound like the blackening. Right. It doesn't sound like unto the locust. It doesn't sound like supercharger. Every album, even though it all sounds like machine head, it's got a little bit of flavor on it. Absolutely. And yeah. that's why, that's why I always give them props. And they, and they played a lot of their fast stuff. Like I was surprised on how much fast stuff they, because I know they, they don't have a lot of fast songs, but they played a lot of them that night and it was really sweet. They have a very specific era of fast songs. I would say probably for like from 2003 through 2011. 
they had a lot of fast music yeah it was really cool great night uh thanks to chris for hooking me up it was awesome and uh you know when i was on my way we were walking to the venue i'd never been to the, the fox in oakland either because i've always predominantly used i go to underground shows i've always gone to like right. punk rock shows and stayed underground this is a huge venue so i you know i've been to a lot of huge venues obviously but this one in particular i've never gone to but it was really sweet the acoustics look it's a beautiful venue i mean inside and out as it is already and then with the machine head logo with their banners and they would always switch them out it was it was sick it was totally awesome and then um on the way to the show, as I was walking there, right across the street is the Uptown, and guess who's fucking playing? Who? It was JFA and the Drunk Engines. I was like, fucking Jody Foster's Army. I'm like, God damn it, I should be going to this show, because this is my roots, right? This is like what I'm all about, skate fucking punk, dude. It's the shit. That's a rough choice right yeah, there. Yeah, dude, I'm walking, and I get pulled, like a buddy of mine, this guy, Ralph, pulls me, and he's like, dude, hey, what's up? And I'm like, oh shit, well, who's playing? He tells me, I'm like, God damn it, I should be at this show. But, you know, I'm obviously invited to fucking Machine Head. Are you kidding me? Like, I've never seen Machine Head. But just the fact that they had that across the street, it was fucking badass. I was like, what a great night in Oakland, man, all the way around. It was awesome and heartbreaking at the same time. Yeah, because I really wanted to go to that show. But by the time we got out of there, it was so late. But I was like, fuck. Drunk Engines and JFA, man, that's two of my favorites. You know, fast, like, skateboard punk on cocaine on the beach. You know, it's really sick as fuck. Yeah. And, you know. Like, that's the thing. I like metal and punk rock. And that's my life in all different facets of those two genres. Because those are, those are subgenres. And I like all the subgenres attached to those subgenres. And, you know, what all of it comes from, the speed of this music comes from punk rock. That was the first ones who started getting really, really fast. Then metal grabbed onto it. And we went through all the progressions of thrash metal. And what that became was half punk. And then what bred out of thrash metal was death metal. Death metal was, it was really big. I, I think the two, the, there's always a debate with the two first death metal bands. There was Possessed, Seven Churches, their first album. They had a song called Death Metal. That's the first time I'd ever seen that coined, that phrase. And then at the same time you had Death, the band Death from Florida, and they had their album Scream Bloody Gore. And these two bands were just getting gnarlier. Where Slayer and Venom were, they were just getting gnarly. And it never stopped. It just kept getting more brutal and more evil. Oh, Slayer had a little bit of like their Rain and Blood album was what really put them it's the best in the mix with death metal. That's the best record of all time. Oh yeah, it's the best record. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a, my Slayer hoodie right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that's the that's what. And I know that I'm not as familiar with death metal as you are. Well, I'm not even going to be a poser on this one. I'm going to complete. But you already a poser. I am a poser, but I'm not going to make it any fucking worse. <laughs> you're not a poser. Yeah. Like with this, I'm just like, yeah, for me, it's a history. Like, Make up your mind. For me, it's a history lesson really for death metal because I'm not super into it. Like I've listened to Cannibal Corpse. I've listened to Obituary. I'm, like I said, big Slayer fan, which is one of the stepping blocks into death metal and stuff like that. Well, yeah, because Slayer, you had the speed, but where do you go? You know, you like just like black metal you got to go darker and so um going the florida florida had a huge death metal scene in the late 80s and early 90s and, and a lot of those bands came from that scene i remember it, it obituary was the fucking monsters that came out of there and they would tour with sadis from the bay area and, and all those old death metal bands are crossing over from the thrash to the just really gnarly sound death a deicide you had um cannibal corpse like you just said some of the best well, album covers right there right too, by all the of them all of them they're really just beautiful artwork really gnarly and banned when they first came out they were banned everywhere oh yeah too dark and um 
so my friends and I had a, a pretty extensive CD collections. We had a lot of metal. We had thrash and death. And I remember my buddy, he scored the new Masker CD. And it was just really random that I saw because he would walk in with like stacks of CDs from the music store. We had this place called the Music Zone in Salinas. And he would just buy just stacks of them. And uh, I remember Masker looking at that album cover. It was From Beyond. And the movie had been out for a little while, this horror movie, H.P. Lovecraft novel type movie. And I could tell they took that theme from that. So I was really interested in it. And then I... um, Eventually, you know, they just disappeared. And all of a sudden, this, you know, I was like, what happened? You know, and obviously later on, when you get to know people's stories, you'll get to understand why things disappear and where they go. And I got, I developed a pretty good friendship online with Terry Butler. I met him through a couple friends and uh, we talked a lot of smack about sports. And he was, he's a, he's a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. I'm a Niners fan. So we just, we really connected that way. And then uh, they played at the Ace of Spades with Exodus in Sacramento. It was a huge show. It was sold out. And I, I, he's like, hey, man, I got you. Come on out to the show. I go, I see him out in the back by the bus, and I toss him a shirt, and I'm like, wear this, bro. And he's all, thanks, man. And then sure enough, he walks there right out on stage with a psychosomatic shirt. And I was like, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. And then I got all these people like tugging my shoulder like, hey, dude, look at he's got your shirt. I'm all, yeah, that's right, buddy. <laughs> I was like, of course I know. I fucking just gave it to him. But it was really sweet. And, uh, you know, after the show, we got on the bus, and we just talked to him, and he was really fucking honest, down, sincere, and just a good guy all the way around. And we really just got into, you know, conversations about his band and where he's going. So he's a really good dude, Terry Butler from Obituary. How you doing, Terry? Yeah, I'm doing good, man. Uh, awesome. Just, uh, Starting to gear up for our tour that starts in about five days. Great. So, uh, yeah. what what tour do you have coming up? It's uh, we're main support for Black Label Society in the uh, U.S. and some Canadian dates as well. Um, Lord Dying is the opening band. Awesome. I know that band. They're great. Yeah, they're pretty good. We're we're pretty stoked about the tour. I mean, it, you know, uh, Black Label is a little bit different than we are, but I don't think we're so far out of the realm that some of their fans won't enjoy us, so... No, not at all. That's, to it. it sounds like a pretty huge tour, even for you guys. Yeah, it's, yeah it is. And the place is already selling out, so it's, it's going to be cool. When does that start? It starts February 26th um, in Tucson, Arizona. Um, we have a warm-up show on the 24th in Fort Worth, Texas, on the 24th. And it wraps up on the 29th of March in Harrisonburg, Virginia, kind of dancing around the states in and out of Canada a few times, like 25 shows. That's really sick. That's going to be a... Yeah, we're, we're definitely excited for it. <laughs> awesome. Hey, um, you know, for some of our, our listeners that don't know who you are, I was going to run down your, uh, your history. So, um, like, you obviously started in the, in the band Death, the legendary band. Is that right? Yep. Yes. And, yep. <laughs> and it, um, you didn't. You were labeled on the uh, Leprosy album, but did you play on that? I actually didn't play on it. It's it's um it's kind of crazy. We uh when we were in the studio, the sound the drum sound replacement at the time was kind of new, and our producer wanted to replace all the drums with other drum sounds so that took forever so we all we were way behind schedule and um 
when it was, you know, I had like basically half a day to record the bass and I just kind of had a panic attack. Right. My first time at a studio ever, you know, and uh-huh. I just, you know, I got Chuck staring at me. I got Bill Andrews, <laughs> you know, staring at me, the producer, Scott Burns, Jim Morris. You know? That's some <laughs> pressure. Like, yeah. Under the microscope, dude. And I buckled under pressure. So I just handed the bass to Chuck. I said, dude, this completely sucks ass, but can you do the bass for saving time, you know? Awesome. And then you, uh, but, uh, then you did spiritual it, healing after, right? Oh yeah, I, that was fine, no problem. I mean, I and I knew how to play this stuff on Leprosy because we've we've toured for Screamboat Gore twice, right? And uh, we did, you know, countless number of shows. So it wasn't like I couldn't play the material. You know, I just I just had a panic attack in the studio, and you know, to this day it sucks. I think about it constantly, and it's one of those things that's extremely embarrassing, and I wish it would go away, but it won't. I've had about three hardcore panic attacks in studio, so I totally feel you. I even had a point to where my arm wouldn't move. Like, I was playing so hard, my arm cramped up, and I was, like, in shock. But, you know, yeah, so it it happens, and uh, it doesn't matter because your uh, your career went on to be legendary. So tell us a little bit about uh, spiritual healing. Well, we... um, when we started writing it, it was just me, Chuck, and Bill. Rick was gone. So we started writing it, and uh, the thing with death is, you know, each album is kind of a progression, and it's just kind of a natural thing. If you look from the gore to spiritual healing, it's, like, way different. Right. But so we kind of started writing. I wouldn't say it's necessarily really technical stuff, but it was just a little bit different than the first two albums. But uh, I had met James Murphy uh, probably about a year before that here at a, a show in Tampa, and I got to know him and everything, and, and, and he had moved to um, Atlanta and was jamming with Hallow's Eve. Nice. So we're like, man, we need we need another guitar player here. I said, well, I know a shredding, shredding guy. He's, you know, he's from Lakeland. He's, he lives up, he's with Hallow's Eve right now, so... Chuck's like, we got his phone number. I'll call him. I said, yeah. So I gave it to him, and he called him. And uh, about a week later, James came to practice, and uh, everything fell right into place. And uh, it was great. We had a great time. We, you know, I helped write four songs with Chuck. James wrote some songs with Chuck. It was a, just a good time, good atmosphere. We wrote it at um, Orlando in a mini warehouse. It was like 180 degrees in there. Wow. <laughs> but uh, then we, you know, <clears throat> Scott Burns, we uh, he helped produce it and uh, we uh, recorded at Morris Sound and it was great, you know. That was uh, that yeah, that's crazy that that was thirty years ago. <laughs> I know, dude, it's, it's amazing. That's I, mean, I remember great. It like it was, you know, yesterday. But it was it's just incredible how time flies, you know. So, do you guys have like a reissue of that? Yeah, uh, I think relapse. The, the, there's been several different re-releases of it, you know. Uh, there's a CD with like. Some of us, some songs of us just goofing around. That's you awesome. Know? Bunch of different uh, demos and this and that. Yeah, so Relapse is like released out of several different times. For sure. And uh, what what happened after that? Well, we did a tour of the States. Uh, it was with Devastation. It was great. Um, unfortunately, right at the end of the tour, James was out of the band. Uh, about three months later, we went on another tour, Spiritual Healing, of the second leg, with Pestilence and Carcass. It awesome. was their first times in the U.S., their first tours. Oh, wow. 
yeah, and um, we did that tour, and unfortunately, you know, something happened with Chuck. He didn't want to go to the. We had another tour lined up for Europe with Creator. Right. Co-headlining tour for nine months. We had our own bus, had our own everything, crew. I mean, we we were pampered, and uh, he just did. He didn't want to go, you know. And uh, it sucks. So we kind of went over there without him. Um, I know that sounds like it's completely blasphemous and insane to even say that, but yeah. we were young. Right. We'd already signed contracts to go. Uh, we're talking about if we cancel that tour, all the creator's crew are out of work for nine weeks. You know, all these promoters are losing money, all these, you know. So we're like, well, we want to do the tour. So we did it. <laughs> right. And uh, I don't talk about it a lot because, you know, the hardcore death fans probably sure throw rocks at me when they hear it but. <laughs> that's fine <laughs> uh, i mean it happened you were part of it you're you know part of that legendary band i mean it's pretty impressive yeah, and it's it's yeah. awesome to know the inside of it you know that the stuff we'll never well, see yeah i mean it, you know it's unfortunate i think he would have had a great time if he had come over there but he was just going through some stuff you know and um sure whatever so at the end of that kind of right at the end of that tour i called rick Roz. Because, you know, I was at Massacre first, and then we did the death thing, and then Massacre again. Right. I called Rick. I was like, hey, this is what happened in death. Uh, let's get the band back together, Massacre. Let's record an album of all the old demo shit just to get something out there. And um, maybe do a tour or two, and then we'll record a new album. Well, we recorded the album, and it just t- it took off. Everyone loved it. So we did, we did uh, three tours, or two tours for it in Europe. And then... Um, we did an EP. I did a tour for that. What the album was that from Beyond? From Beyond. Yeah. And, um, Great. It was all stuff that was written in '86, basically. Okay. So we put it out in '92. And uh, you know, we did some touring, get in the studio. We did an EP and a new song, and it just kind of fell apart. And shortly after that, that's when I just I uh, landed. You know, Six Feet Under it was just forming at that point, so. And that was right after Chris Barnes left Cannibal, right? Cannibal Corpse. Yeah, he um, he actually was he was still in Cannibal when we recorded the album. Okay. And when it was mixed, when it was mixed and everything, um, we went on tour for Haunted, the first album in '95. And and during the tour is when they brought in Corpse Grinder to do the vocals. Sick. So he was kind of out at that point. Right. Now. Uh, I just I gotta ask for uh, did, were you there when Ice T was recording with uh, Six Feet um, Under? Actually, no, I was not invited up to New York. Oh, <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that because I remember when I, I first heard. Too, I first I guess the budget on the budget only allowed for Chris and Brian Slagle sure. to go up and watch them. But they filled me in. They're like, you know, he showed up and really didn't have any lyrics or anything prepared. So they, he's like, give me an hour or so. So he came back about an hour later, hour or two later, and just busted that out like an almost one take. And, so uh, sick. Pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I remember hearing the record, and I didn't look at any liner, note, liner notes or anything, and I just it <laughs> popped out. I'm like, hey, that's Ice-T. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that was so fun. I, I remember hearing that full record, and that just yeah. kind of threw me for a loop, and I was like, I looked, oh, it is. Holy shit, that's great. That was kind of in our corn phase, I call it. Right. <laughs> So did you we guys... tuned to A and had some hoppy, bouncy songs. And... 
Well, there's some good stuff on that record, but it was for sure. What's kinda, your, what's your favorite Six Feet Under yeah. album? Um, I mean, it's it might be it's a toss up between Haunted and uh, Maximum Violence. Great albums. Uh, those two are, I think, are really good. I mean, Warpath is good too. I like Bring Her Blood a lot, um, but uh, oh man, I mean. I guess I'm gonna have to go with Haunted just for the whole classicness of it. For sure, yeah. That that if you listen to Haunted, that's what Six Feet Under started at, and that's what they should have probably tried to remain the whole time. But it just kind of it got to the point where each album was a little bit different. Right. You know, it's really slow and heavy and sludgy, and then and uh, groovy and yeah, yeah, you know, totally. What do you uh, so did you do a lot of touring with Six Feet Under as well? Yeah, we did early on. We toured a lot um, up until about, you know, 2006 or seven. Then it kind of became more playing festivals and select stuff here and there. But we did early on, yeah. I See, mean, we, we did really well. You know, we the tours were great, especially in Europe. And, you know, we were on fire for a while. So you've toured but, um, pretty much most of your adult life, right? <laughs> pretty much. I mean, right out of high school, uh, the first tour I did was like really early 87. Uh, massacre we did like six shows at the east coast we had 10 scheduled but only but some of them fell through we, we were in a four we were in an ltd four door and pulling a little trailer sleeping in the car we were like 19 18 or 19 oh my god but we didn't care it was great you that know? rules absolutely yeah <laughs> that's awesome that's so how you do it since since january 87 been on the road so what's your uh, longest tour you've ever done uh, nine weeks. That was that tour that, that Chuck didn't go to. Oh, nine nine weeks in the dead of winter, but it was amazing. Right, that's a killer yeah. lineup. Uh, that was the longest. I've done some six six weeks, seven weeks, five weeks, but usually you're out for about twenty five shows. You come home for a month or two, then you head somewhere else. Sure. Now, um, you grew. Did you grow up in Florida? Yep, I'm a true cracker, Florida cracker. <laughs> <laughs> What's what, well, ci- what city? Uh, I was born in Palatka, which is kind of up in the uh, northeast, just kind of underneath Jacksonville a little bit. Gotcha. Uh, but it, we moved here to to like Brandon, which is near Tampa. Okay. When I was real, real, real young, so yeah, I've, I've been here my whole life. So what's it like? Uh, are you a Tampa Bay Bucks fan? I'm sure. What's it like? Uh, being, oh, yeah. being... <laughs> I, I, li- I live and die with them, mostly die with them. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I support all my hometown teams. This is how I am. How, how, how far did you go back uh, as a fan for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Just curious. Since day one, 1976. Oh, wow. So you remember Doug yep. Williams, Ricky Bell, Leroy, oh, yeah, Dewey, oh, Selman. Yeah. You know, the Selman brothers are from Sacramento, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. That's there awesome. Three of them, I think. That's right. We 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 had two of them. Yeah, um, that's what I remember. I remember Steve Spurrier is the first Bucks quarterback too. <laughs> yeah, and he coached too. Coached for my 49ers. It was pretty sad. Uh, and um, yeah. <laughs> and but uh, you, hey, you guys did get one, and I was pulling for you on that one, and uh, I I had Raider fans, you know, want my head on a plate for that one. I couldn't help it. It was so glorious, <laughs> especially with their own head coach. Uh, yeah, I'm throwing that one in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we. I'm glad we got that one. I think we should have had maybe we could have had maybe one more before that, but hey, at least we got the one. Right. And we were uh, 
we were on top there for four or five years, so that was cool. But now we're bottom feeding right now, but Give maybe that'll change here soon. So tell me about uh, when you transitioned out of uh, Six Feet Under. Yeah, um, that was, see, I, in 2010, I started helping obituary when Frank left. Um, and in, in February 2011, Six Feet Under, we were going to do a benefit show for a friend of ours. He had uh, recently had a brain tumor removed. Oof. And he needed some, you know, medical assistance. He's the drummer in Nasty Savage. I don't know if you remember that old band. That I remember. I remember them. They're a huge influence on all of us here in Tampa. I mean, literally, them and Sabotage helped create Florida Death Metal. That's amazing. But um, so we set it up to have this benefit show for him. We were going to headline Six Feet Under. Greg, the drummer, called up Chris. Hey, can we do this? And Chris, like, sure. Well, that Chris canceled like a week before the benefit show. Oh. <laughs> so we're like, really? Okay, well, that's it. You know, it had been a slow burn for a few years up to that, and that was just like the straw that broke the camel's back. So right. we quit at the same time. We're like, dude, we're out. You know, good luck with what you do in the future, but we're, we're going on somewhere else. So. Sure. But I was already helping obituary, so I, I was able to land on my feet pretty easy. You know, I, I called them up and said, hey, um, this is what happened. I'm offering my services now full time, and they're like, "Fuck yeah, come on!" So that's killer. And yeah, um, it's been great. They're, those dudes are so awesome. I, I've known them since like '85. So. Right, right. You guys, the old school classic death metal scene. I mean, it was it was fringy thrash, but back then it was death metal. You know, I, I considered it death. Yeah, metal. I mean, we, you know, we our blueprint when we we're well, especially like obituary was Venom, Bathory. Hellhammer, Celtic Frost, Slayer. I mean, that's, you know. Right. That's what we drew from, and you can hear all that on those first early records, obviously. So. Right now in uh, Inked in Blood, you recorded that one, right? Yeah, I did Inked in Blood. Uh, we put out a EP, live record kind of thing, and then we did uh, the one that's called Obituary. I love that album. Yeah. That album rules. Yeah. The, the Obituary, the self-titled one, that one just kicks you in the face yeah. as soon as it starts. <laughs> And then also, you know what I, I, I saw recently is you guys got a uh, that last single, A Dying World. Yeah. Dude, dude, that thing rules. That sounds like straight, like, punk rock. It's just gnarly. Yeah, it came together pretty good. Um, we got a call from Cartoon Network, you know, they're like, hey, we, know, we're, we got this thing going on where, you know, we have bands do some songs for us. Would you like to do a song? We're like, yeah. So we threw that at them, and they're like, awesome. So... That's super sick. Yeah. And you guys, got, uh, go ahead. Uh, so we got some, we got some riffs kicking around in the works and this and that. It's just like once we designate a time, let's let's start writing. We got some a lot of ideas kicking around. So. So did you guys do the uh, seventy thousand tons of metal? Yep. Um, not this year, but last year. How was that? It was great. I mean, if you ever get a chance to go as an artist or even just go, I would do it. Um, it's killer. I mean, it's a festival that everyone's right on top of you, but it's really cool because you can interact with the fans. They can interact with you. You can hang out. You see all your friends from the other bands. It's definitely a cool environment. Plus, if you get sick of everyone, your hotel room's, you know, 25 seconds away from you. So Way cool. <laughs> Who's your, it's uh... a trip. It's definitely... 
definitely worth doing if you can. Who's your favorite bands that you've toured with? Oh, let's see here. Probably Carcass. Yes. For musically and friends, they're great friends. I mean, Exodus as well. Those guys are awesome. We know them really well, and they're a killer band. Yeah, I saw you guys on um, that on that tour, and uh, you're rocking a psychosomatic shirt. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. In Sacramento, I was like, yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what's your uh, what's your uh, craziest tour story that you can say without getting in trouble? Oh, let's see here. Um, well, okay, one pops into my head. It was Six Feet Under. We we uh, it was for the Warpath album. We had this whole setup where we were gonna. It was like a war theme that we were doing. Obviously, Warpath, you know. Right. So we have this intro. It's like gunshots, and it was from a movie, I think, Platoon. Guys are screaming, getting blown up, you know, this and that. Right. We had uh, bought some of these smoke bombs that we were gonna light. One on each side of the stage. It's gonna be kind of like you know heavy fog, kind of smoke as we're playing. Well. We didn't realize that they were toxic to people. Oh, shit. <laughs> so our road crew, our, one of our roadies, he, he likes to fuse on these things, and they're going off. All of a sudden, I uncontrollably, I just, I'm starting to cry. You know, I can't even see. It's like tear gas, you know? So the whole crowd is just, there's like a thousand people. They're just getting destroyed by this. They're all just getting fucked up. Uh, Greg, our drummer, he had a towel over his head, and we were ran backstage puking. Oh, it was my just ridiculous. God. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. But later, we looked on a package after it all cleared. It said, you know, do not breathe in fumes. <laughs> you guys just took out your whole crowd. <laughs> yeah. That was like the first show of the Warpath tour in Europe. Oh, my God. What a nightmare. Definitely one that I will never forget. <laughs> it, was, it was tragic and hilarious at the same time. <laughs> Totally tragic. Oh, my God. People spend money, and they're like, oh, this is great. <laughs> my producer's over there rolling right now. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, my God. Awesome. So uh, what do you guys got for the future besides touring? You got a new record in the works, or are you guys writing anything? Yeah. we got. There's a bunch of riffs kicking around, and sometimes, like, if we're doing a sound check, I'll hear, I'll, you know, Trevor's over there, and I hear a riff. I'm like, hey, dude, what's that? He's like, I don't know. I just came up with it. I was like, well, we'll record that thing right now. Nice. And we got a bunch of those, like, little recordings of a riff or two here and there. And uh, we'll designate a day sometime this year, hopefully, and just kind of start mapping out stuff. But we, we're pretty busy this year for touring. You know, we got this Black Label tour. Shortly after that, we're doing a festival in Tampa here at this beer company called Cigar City Brewing. It's like a wrestle wrestling fest with metal show combination thing. Like professional um, wrestling, like yeah, it's called uh, Metal Cave 2020. It's we're headlining. It's Municipal Waste, Bloodlet, and Nasty Savage. And uh, then then we got like June, July, and August stuff. Throughout Europe, you know, some festivals and one-off shows. What kind of? What's the? Uh, what's the? I just you caught my ear with the wrestling. What's the wrestling company? Is it GCW or is it WWF? Um, I will have to. Or WWE. Oh, sorry. Let's see, I know it's called Fast Wrestling. I'll think about <clears> it. 
Um, I think it's kind of like a up and coming thing. Yeah, it might be GCW. That's the shit. That's where they like use barbed wire and and fluorescent glasses <laughs> on each other, and it's brutal. Yeah, uh, I don't know the format yet. Like, a, I don't know if we're like playing and there's like guys wrestling around us or what the deal is. But it's a because uh, we got a slash. <laughs> we got we got a uh, a pro wrestler that's up and coming that's going to be on the show pretty soon, and he's telling us all yeah. these crazy stories. So I can't wait to get him on. But um, yeah, let's let's wrap this up. I appreciate your time, yeah. Terry, and uh, wish you the best yeah. of luck and keep in touch. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, letting me yap, and hopefully uh, something I said was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. All right. Thank you, um, Terry Butler right. from Obituary. Thanks a lot, bud. Yo. All right. Thanks. So it sounds like there's a band that just started playing next to us. That's okay. Sorry if you can hear it, if it's annoying. It's a music podcast. What do you want? Right, that's true. So now we're going to have a Q&A time. You guys post your questions online, and I will do my best to answer them. Mike will read them. Thanks, Mike. All right. So the first one's from Rob Preacher. Is Jared Klein the best active metal drummer? My answer is going to be completely biased. I would say yes, absolutely. Um, the guy is phenomenal. He's extremely fast, super tight, accurate. He's, I love the guy. I mean, he's like my little brother. I mean, we're that close. He, um, he's the real brother of my drummer, Toby Swope. Uh, I've known him since he was a little kid, a little boy. He was about 11 years old, woke me up playing in his room one time when I was passed out after a show there at his house. And it was really loud and annoying, and he was kind of like a brat to me. <laughs> but it was really cool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I grew up with him. And I've watched him grow into one of the best drummers in the world. And I'm saying that not just biased, but he is sick. So if you're going to chance, he's, his new band's Rivers of Nile. He, they are massive, killing it everywhere. Go get a chance to see him, give him some support and love, say hi for me. Guy is phenomenal. He's playing a lot of other bands, too. It's badass. All right, so the next question is from Scott T. Chavez. What's the difference between touring bands and locals who have never spread their wings? Scott T. Chavez. Scott T. Chavez. Uh, Or does it make a difference at all? What's the difference? Um, There is no difference. Either you want to do it or you're not, but it doesn't matter as far as uh, what you're, you know, what's the context? Do you want to be a professional band i mean you could be a local band and just play certain venues and make money that way but as far as like a broader audience and you want to get you know well known or huge you know get a shot at getting a you know some endorsements or a label or some interest definitely i think touring is the way to go but there's no shame in being a local band and killing it in clubs at all i mean i guess the big thing if you don't mind me adding on here is no go ahead like talents at any level a good song happens at any level if you need the band to be on tour to like it i mean i don't know but you can find amazing talent in your town and you can find amazing talent that's on tour so it's just really like what's the difference for you really exactly if if you want to it's up to the band really if you want to get out there and tour and see what it's like do it man i i totally support you either way if you don't Hey, if you want to keep it safe and just, you know, stay home and play, there's no shame in that either. I just say do what you want to do and take it as far as you want to go. The choice is yours, really. Cool. Thanks, Scott. All right. Next is from Chuck McCann. What are your best psychosomatic memories from the OG lineup? Okay. uh, We've been around for a long time, and there's been a lot of different phases in the span. Uh, Most of the people know the middle lineup, which was... Predominantly me, 
Toby Swope and Justin Reyes. But before that, we had a, a the original lineup was with a, a singer. We had actually had a singer called Mike Smith, or his name's Mike Smith, and and I, I was on bass and we had a guitar player named Jody Morris and Michael Anderson. And I and I know Chuck. That's from way back. And this is the original lineup. And the, the original lineup lasted from uh, 1988 to 1990. And it was thrash metal. It was like semi. It was kind of like what we're doing now, but just really sloppier. And those days were just forming. We were forming. We were just breaking off the rust. We had a good start, but we really didn't know the ins and outs of anything. We were just basically winging everything. And we had a lot of fun. Uh, anything that stands out. We played a lot of shows that were around the Watsonville, Santa Cruz, uh, Salinas, Monterey County areas, but we really didn't do anything huge at that stage. I remember Mike is a really awesome guy. I love him to death. He lives in San Diego now. Mikkel actually moved to Denmark, and uh, he's he's out there. He's in Europe. Uh, he's really excited. That's awesome. Uh, Jody Moore still lives in Salinas, as far as I know, and we talk. We, we really stay in contact. Me and Jody are still very good friends. And we're, we're in constant contact. Now, um, after that, the big lineup was um, me, Justin, and Mark Woodward. And we that lineup kind of happened, and it went away, and then it happened again. And, you know, me and Justin are brothers. I mean, we, we spent a long time. Justin was in the band for 21 years, and, and we have a long history. I love him to death. We, we stay in contact every now and then, you know, and uh, he's doing him. He's, he's got a job. He's got a new house. He's, he's doing really good. He's got a family. He's, everybody's really good, as far as I've heard. You know, from what I hear from all the ex-members, we I try to stay in touch as much as I can. But from what I hear, everybody's doing really well. So that's awesome. That's good. All right, next question from Tonya Villa Jr. Being sober, how do you deal with being around friends who drink and don't have issues with alcohol? Tony Avila Jr. My bad. <laughs> Sorry, Tony. <laughs> Staying away from people is really hard. So. What do you got about that one, man? Well, uh, I'm, you know, in February, I completed four years clean and sober. I uh, did a lot of work to um, become, to get to that level. I think um, the music industry is kind of brutal for it. But if you see a lot of people, you'll realize that, you know, people get sick of it. There's a lot of people that are straight in the music scene. And I'm not talking about straight edge. You know, don't feel weird about them. They just, they just don't. They're done. You know, for me personally, I don't know what the word moderation is. So I'm gonna do something. I'm going hardcore, or I just don't do it, <laughs> right? So I, I, I had to stop. I had to put the brakes on. And, and I think when you're talking about, can you deal with other people or being around social events? I think that is something that has to go deeper. And what I did personally, I can't speak for anybody else. I can only speak from my own experience is that I had to go deep to the root of my problems. I'm not talking about my bills or an ex-girlfriend or something like that. I'm talking about to your childhood, and you have to process that. Once I did that, everything else was cake. So that's just my experience. Other things work for other people. And it's a really intricate topic of sobriety. It's you, you got to get in deep and find out what's truly your issue. And then sometimes I, I personally don't think you can ever do that alone. It's really brutal. It's not a matter of willpower when it comes to addiction. It's a much deeper issue. So I, I highly encourage uh, reaching out to people and resources if you can, please. I mean, do. And it, it's all about making your life better and making people around you better. Next. If you don't mind, I'm going to toss just a touch on there. Go ahead. Um, one of my things uh, 
not isn't and this isn't nearly as gnarly of a drug or a substance or anything as other people have done or anything like that but no judgment whatsoever i used to be a massive smoker and mm, i was that's brutal and that they, they say it's harder to kick than heroin or absolutely it's, like it's actually 400 times more yeah. addictive qualities than heroin and opiates the day right before i quit i was at two and a half packs a day wow and so that if you do the math that's like 50 cigarettes a day that i was smoking it's no joke and i i quit cold turkey which might not be the best way for everyone brutal i think my wife almost wanted to kill me because <laughs> i was just fucking i was the biggest dick in the I, world i bet right but the i stopped like if i had a gig to play i played the gig and i bounced if I had, I had to, I had to separate myself. Sure. So a lot of people probably have to go through that too. There was a long period of where I had to separate myself from everything that I associated with the act of smoking. Like even driving in my car was driving me nuts because I would smoke in my car. Right. I couldn't go out on my porch in my apartment because I used to smoke out there. I that going on a break at work was I almost didn't want to take a break because I used to smoke there and going to shows and all that shit was sure. all smoke, 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 smoke. So sometimes you have to separate yourself until you're good with it and then slowly reintroduce it. Let me ask you one question. Yeah. How do you feel now? Oh, I, I, my lungs are free, dude. <laughs> like, what's the thing? Like, my hands are free, my lungs are proud, and there's some bullshit. No, I can breathe again. You feel better? I feel better, but I don't think that even though I've come to terms with, with not smoking, I'm still a smoker. Sure. And that's that's a that's a rough thing to come through because like I always still want a cigarette. It's been fucking, God, it's been eight years, seven years, just over seven years. It'll be eight years this November. I quit. Very cool. But very awesome. It's like I still dream about smoking. That's sure. how deep it is for me. Right. And when I get a whiff of it, sometimes I have to leave. Sometimes I don't have right. that willpower, and I just gotta bounce. Sure. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I think. Uh, my, my thing, my take is when I get like that itch to do something, get to work. Yeah. That's my thing is like get to work, do something I don't that hands, you, man. where you don't have a choice where you have to focus, like get to work. You know, if you got to, if I start feeling like I, I'm sitting around, I'm not doing something or I'm playing video games too long, you know, that's something that's, I have to keep my eye on. I have to get to work get to work, get up there and just do something that you need to do because there's always something to do to get done. If you don't have anything to do, find something to do. Yeah. That's a huge one. Cool. So yeah. Hey, congratulations, man. Oh, thank you. Congratulations to you too, dude. Thanks. Hey, thank you, Tony, for that one. That was a good question. And last but not least from Dan Hernandez, why are death metal dudes always in the woods? <laughs> <laughs> It's a great question. Why are they always in the woods, man? We just got done doing a, a photo shoot up in Eugene, Oregon, and it was in the woods. Ah. It was great. It was great. Okay, okay, we're playing aggressive music. It's death metal. Have you never seen a fucking 80s horror movie? All the people that go in the forest get killed. It's just the way it goes. So if you're if you're listening to a death metal record and you look at the cover and you see a bunch of dudes hanging out in the woods, it's probably not a good idea to go near them because they're going to kill yeah, you. Yeah, no, think about the, <laughs> think about the people you're looking at in this picture. If you were just randomly lost in the woods and that's what popped up on your ass, <laughs> you know, you're going to be bummed. <laughs> you know, one of the things I was dying about with the black metal shit is how It'd always just be a bunch of dudes in the woods with like corpse paint. Like, what are they yeah. doing out there? <laughs> it's well, like, why, just... do you, why does your face look like this? What oh, the fuck? Okay, so nobody's walking by to get murdered, right? You're, there's nobody there. What are they doing in the meantime? 
They're just hanging out. Like they're just broing down all with their leather jackets and spikes and clubs and, and corpse paint and mallets. And they're, they're just, just waiting for that opportunity. Yeah, they're just waiting. But what do they do when there's nobody there in the woods? They're just hanging out. Yeah. They're home. They're just being evil. They probably got a little cabin out there. <laughs> They're just being evil. Just like, being... <laughs> so, okay, so you're evil, right? You're out in the woods. You're in a creepy cabin, and you got to cook some ramen, right? You got to wake up. You got to go to the bathroom. You got to take you brush your teeth. You still got to do these things. This is always cracked me up about death metal because you're, you're gnarly, and you still got you still got to live your life, right? <laughs> but it's funny because I can imagine just having like you know four inch nail spikes off my sleeves. You know, just walking around with a battle axe on my back and like all this armor, and then I'm like, well, I gotta go to, I gotta go to, you know, the Walgreens and get some fucking mouthwash. <laughs> gotta come out of the woods, shampoo, and get, some, get some toiletries. Right, you're like fucking. So you're just walking through the fucking Walgreens. All I'm gonna get some fucking toilet paper and some shampoo and Q-tips, and you gotta put my makeup on right. And it's just the whole thing is fucking low great. on black makeup. Black metal fucking rules, dude. It's so awesome. It's just it's, the forest. You can't go near the forest. Have you ever seen Evil Dead? Come Dude, on, any of it. You what, don't fuck around with the forest. I mean, every like every like take the first fucking Friday the Thirteenth. There a you goddamn go. campsite in right. the fucking forest. What do you want, man? <laughs> Don't so, go yeah. on the lake at the forest either, dude. Forests are scary. Stay away from there. Just don't even go there. Anyways, we're going to wrap this up. So this is episode four. Thank you all for listening. Um, this is the Jeff Salgado podcast show, whatever you want to call it. Like, share, subscribe, please. Love you all. Have a great week. See you next week. Yeah.